Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week's episode is on tarot for pregnancy and postpartum time with Brittany the birth witch and much gratitude to Tara from the witch's muse for introducing us. Um, Brittany uses she her pronouns and she's a full spectrum doula facilitator for a community-based doula training program, birth assistant to a community-based midwife, tarot reader, poet, reproductive justice advocate, amateur herbalist, and author of the book Tarot for Pregnancy, a companion for radical, magical birthing folks that comes out this June. This episode, I really enjoyed our conversation and I feel like there's so much more that I wanted to talk about that we didn't even get to because Brittany has so much knowledge and wisdom. Um, So who knows? Maybe she'll be open to coming back on the podcast sometime um, to talk more about birth and magic. But what we did get to talk about is Brittany's journey to birth work, her ego check around her own birth experience, um, her poetry, letting our creativity flow in seasons, tarot for pregnancy, and how tarot can support pregnancy, being able to contribute to the conversation without knowing everything so huge um and postpartum time and showing up for folks postpartum and how most people don't know how to do that and how important it is that we do that and how sacred and magical postpartum time is and important and hard so i hope you enjoyed this conversation whether you are a parent or want to be a parent or not Um, I think there's really something here for everyone because even if you aren't a parent and don't want to be a parent, you probably have someone in your community who is (laughs) or wants to be. Um, So yeah, and before... We get into the conversation just a reminder that you have a couple more weeks two more weeks ish to pre-order moonside my first poetry collection um it's available at the link in the description i'm so excited to get it into your hands there is so much magic inside for you and if you're into poetry if you're queer if you're on a healing journey um it might be might be a good book to pick up um so check it out And I also wanted to give a quick uh, content warning for this episode that I almost forgot to give, and now I'm seeing my note to do that, um, which is there are brief mentions of medical racism Brittany shares about her miscarriage and also mentions birth trauma. So just so you know, that content is in this episode. Um, So take care of yourself, tune in and out as needed, take breaks or opt out if um, this episode isn't going to be working for you. Lots of love, enjoy our conversation and see you next time. So I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey. So I'd love to hear about your journey coming to birth work and with like magic and witchery and spirituality and just like all the things, whatever you feel like sharing. Um, okay. How they brought you to this moment. 
Sure. Um, also, I should apologize if you hear my toddler in the background. Um, you know, that's what that is. It's, I don't have like a good mic right now to make that's it okay. just me. Um, huh, so those are both like kind of separate stories, but also super braided together, as I'm sure you can imagine. But um, I'll start with the first thing you asked. Um, I began my journey to birth work when I started feeling the call to become a parent myself, which was like very out of character for me. Um, It was a major life pivot. I was very much somebody who defined myself as never wanting kids um, in my early, in my late teens and early twenties. So once I started having like inklings that that might be something I want to do, I was like, you know, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it very my way. Like every, I'm the type of person to, I have ADHD. So I just became obsessed with, it was my new hyper-focus was my new obsession Mm -hmm. was researching everything about pregnancy and birth. Um, we kind of were super recklessly casual about it, about trying. So we, um, we, we said we were just going to stop trying not to get pregnant, you know, like, um, I had already been off hormonal birth control for like my own spiritual reasons for years at that point, um, and health reasons. And so we got pregnant right away. And then very soon after that, I miscarried, I was about only seven weeks pregnant when I miscarried. And that was kind of like my first like introduction into like, here's this secret world that nobody's talking about unless they happen to be on the reproductive continuum themselves. Like we um, don't really hold space for that kind of grief. Like the world doesn't grieve with you in the same way that they grieve your like earth side losses, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though the grief is like incredibly real and brings up a lot of stuff. Like uh, for me that brought up, even though it was my first miscarriage and like I didn't have a whole lot of personal reason to read into it. My mom um, couldn't have children for 19 years. She had me when she was 40. Um, and my sister, my older sister was like a miracle, you know? And so she had so many countless losses. She was a foster parent in the interim of that. So I took that miscarriage super heavy. You know, it was like, th- this could mean that like, I can't, how she couldn't, you know? Um So yeah, I was, me and my partner were still very much in mourning of that first loss and processing that. I processed that very openly, um, which is where the initiation into birth work kind of starts is that like, when you start sharing your experiences and all of these people are coming, this is what I mean by like the secret world. I'm like, why is nobody, why aren't we talking about it? There's a lot of like taboo, um, ness around, taking up space around that kind of loss. Um, in fact, we, you'll probably hear a lot of people be like, we don't even tell our families until we're 12 weeks to make sure it's going to stick. It's like, okay, well, what if it doesn't? And then you're, who are you going to lean on? Who are, who's going to be your community? Who's going to be there for you? Um, if they don't know that you're going through that, And then you might be telling them like, Hey, I was pregnant and now I'm not like at the same time of needing them. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's pretty complex, but, um, while I was still very much in mourning, I got pregnant without trying, um, very soon after I found out I was pregnant the morning after, uh, November 4th, 2016. So I was incredibly drunk the night before, as was the entire world. Um, (laughs) 
And I was, so it was extra added, like how the fuck am I going to bring a kid into this world? But you know, a lot of since then, so many extra catastrophic events have happened that like, that's a common theme for parents. And I think we're all reframing to be more so thinking about like, this is precisely why we must bring like new radical souls into the world. Uh, but anyhow, so yeah, I treated that uh, pregnancy experience, like as if I was getting a PhD in birth and pregnancy. Like I was voracious about taking in information and I'm the type of person who like, if I'm really not meant to absorb that information or what I consider meant to be, um, then I cannot, like school was really rough for me, like in the subjects that I didn't have like a natural inclination or interest in. And I don't remember anything I learned except what I wanted to learn (laughs) and sex when I was, yeah. So like it was, um, it flowed really easily for me to absorb this information. So I say it wasn't necessarily like learning. It was more like remembering, mm-hmm. um, which makes so much sense because like, this is ancestral wisdom that like everyone who has a uterus holds in their body. Um, so it was super easy to absorb all this information. And I had my whole, um, pregnancy and birth experience. I was planning a beautiful home birth and did all the quote unquote right things to set myself up to not have trauma, birth trauma. Um, and then I ended up having a very rare and life-threatening condition called help syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to have a hospital transfer before I even really got to labor at home. So I kind of had, had my little, my little ego check, you know, like, um, not necessarily because it's like, you know, of course, everybody is thankful for medical resources when they're actually needed. The issue in the birth work world is that they're used gratuitously when they're not. Um, so of course it wasn't like I was mad, you know, that like I needed medical help. It was just, um, like it checked my, I needed to like experience that I needed to, and I'm not trying to like explain away or bypass like my own trauma or anything. I just know that for like how haughtily, you know, I was and am still extremely pro home birth. Um, I needed to experience exactly why (laughs) firsthand, why it's so um, not conducive to physiologic birth and body feeding postpartum and how everything that is in like medicalized birth and birth in the medical industrial complex, just how antithetical it is to getting you off on a good start as a parent. Um, so I got that, that like very trial by fire type initiation. Um, and so everything that I collected and learned, like everybody was like, um, so are you going to be a doula now? Because I was, I've always been somebody to really vocally, uh, process, like, I processed my miscarriage out loud. I was talking about all of my pregnancy feelings out loud. I've always been a writer. That was like my first form of magic was writing. So I was just like spilling this to honestly, my audience that didn't sign up for it. I, before this, I was a wedding photographer and a wedding videographer. So they're like, oh. I thought we were following like a videography account. And here I am, like my nipples are out. Like <laughs> it's, you know, it, that was the platform I had at the time. But what was cool about that is that like people weren't following me for that. And yet there were so much resonances of like, thank you for talking about your miscarriage. It's like freeing me up to feel like I can 
like take up space in mine because like one in four people experience a miscarriage and that's probably like a low estimate. It's a lot. So like a lot of us are hiding it, you know, because we're told that we have to, and we're told that nobody's going to care. Um, so anywho, people were like, um, so are you going to become a doula? Like you, the way you, you know, are speaking about this, you seem inclined, you know? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I can't imagine what, you know, how you kind of like push away what you're meant to do. Like, because you know, that once you do that, there's no going back. Like when the judgment card comes up, you're like trying to like put it off and put it off and put it off because like, it's going to that would have changed my life and my business drastically to do that. They were like, well, will you at least be a birth photographer? And I was like, still absolutely not. I couldn't imagine being in at, at where I was at in my level of healing from my own birth story. It would have been extremely hard to even witness somebody else's birth um, and not have secondary trauma, which happens regardless of whether you birthed or not. Um, secondary trauma and birth work is huge, but um. So I put it off, put it off. And then I finally, um, I think it was a certain friend's birth who had like the very typical cascade of interventions of, um, you know, she was like maybe a one day past her due date and they did a pretty invasive and traumatic induction that wasn't taking because her body was nowhere near ready. And it necessitated it. We call that a cascade of interventions, how like one little intervention leads to all of the other ones until the big cesarean becoming now looking necessary. But if we maybe had just left shit the fuck alone, would it have really been necessary? Um, and that was like, finally my little kick in the butt to be like, okay, I need to like be more than just somebody who's read a lot and knows a lot about birth. I need to actually, I went into it thinking I'll just, um, I'll do birth photography and I'd like to be a knowledgeable soul in the room. I'd like to be somebody who knows how to properly hold energetic space, um, which isn't always something you can even teach like that, you know, it's just a natural inclination some folks have, but also I want to like be able to hold that space for my friends. Um, to be honest, this is kind of fucked up, but I just wanted them to listen to me more <laughs> like <laughs> trying to like the, the saviorism that is possible in birth work is very real because like sometimes you share information that does end up saving somebody. So you have to like check yourself that you can't save anybody. Like that's not what it's about. And everybody's on their own journey. But back then when I was new to birth work, I was absolutely trying to save people, namely like the people in my life who I cared about. I've since learned better. So nobody come at me. I know <laughs> who can't save I'm not going to come at you. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole thing in the birth work world. But back then I was totally going into it with the saviorism mindset. Like, um, depending on where you're at in the country, black birthing people die at three to 12 times the rate of white birthing people. Like it is rife. It's ripe to come into this work with a saviorism mindset. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I went, I did my doula training with mama glow. It was a very beautiful experience, but because of everything that I had already, um, accumulated throughout my pregnancy. It wasn't like a whole lot of new information, um, in terms of like birth being a, a doula, you know, um, I've since like had a lot of auxiliary education that I've learned a lot into. Um, but yeah, that was how I kind of came to it. And then like 
Now I fully moved away from doing wedding photography and videography. Like I, those schedules really don't jive. Like I have, I'm booked to like about a year in advance for weddings and people only know they're pregnant, you know, like eight or nine months <laughs> in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, and they're both extremely uh, high pressure events in people's lives. I joke that I went from like one pinnacle of somebody's life to like the even more pressured <laughs> pinnacle <laughs> of somebody's life. Like I just like to be under pressure, I guess, which is so absolutely not true actually about me even, but, um, yeah, that's how I came to birth work there. I feel like I have been talking forever and still haven't even like said any of the juicy shit, but like, that's the, the gist it wasn't, I didn't come willingly. I was dragged as we often are to like what we're meant to be doing. Cause shit gets real. Once you start doing what's in alignment with like what you came back here to do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you can no longer like just be living your life for yourself, um, which is true about becoming a parent anyways. So it kind of coincided. I know a a lot of birth workers who were doulas prior to ever having children of their own, but most of us, like you come into this system and realize like, why is nobody fucking talking about how fucked up this is? And it's like, we are just nobody who's, if you're not in this world, you don't care. You know, um, people are absolutely talking about it. Namely like black birth workers are who have like led the reproductive justice movement, um, since the beginning of ever. (laughs) So, yeah. And then, um, your other question was about like how I came to uh, like my magical practice or spirituality. Mm-hmm. Is that what? Yeah. Brittany, the birth witch. I want to hear about the witch birth witch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I came to that entirely. Um, I mean, you know, so like, I don't want to go back like too far into childhood, but I have always had like a really um, strong connection with like, the archetypes of cards. Um, card playing is huge in my family. One of the, I'm like a poet and I've had one poem published and it was about playing cards um, with my family and what that like signifies for us. But also like, I even remember way back in the day, like you remember Candyland, like the old, mm-hmm. old one where like there was the ice princess, that card was so fucking bent up. She was like my you know, she was a queen archetype to me. Like I loved the little, the cards that had people on them. And I like played with them till they were disintegrating. I loved like card archetypes. So I was gifted my first deck when I was maybe 16, played around with it a little bit. Didn't think much of it. It was around like 2015 when I um, was gifted what I more so consider my first deck. Cause it was the first deck that I became intimate with. Um, so yeah, tarot was my initiation into, um, everything else. Um, Juliet Diaz's book, witchery was hugely formative for me. And now it's like wild because she's a close friend of mine. Um, and she super helped me, um, in leading me back to my magic. I feel very grateful for her work. Um, she just had a book come out called the altar within, but, um, Sorry. The authenticity in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, like I had, again, 
um, was reading tarot for myself, doing a lot of really intentional self-study um, for a couple for year for a couple years before I. And again, people were like, are you going to offer readings for other people? And I was like, no, I don't even feel, I don't even know if I feel comfortable with that. I had not yet done enough research to make sure that I wasn't even appropriating the tarot by using it. So like the idea of getting paid for it at the time felt icky, especially with where I was at um, just in my learning process about it. I have a book coming out and one of my favorite parts of the book is the history of tarot because like that was what was missing in my self-education um, is like a comprehensive, like, cause it is super complicated. It's a very cool and convoluted story that I didn't write. Sonia Estelle, the word, which wrote it for me. Thank God, because oh, I love she's, that. she's incredibly thorough. Her um, word magic is so um, uniquely her. And if you're not at all interested in pregnancy, like you should get my book just for Sonia's chapter. <laughs> That's besides the point. But so th- I just, I wasn't sure, you know? Um, so then I was offering readings for my friends here and there, like, or anybody who would ask. And then as you can imagine, like I started to just understand how unsustainable it was for there to be like no energetic reciprocity for like, this was a, every time it's a huge um, energetic output for me. That's why I only schedule one reading a day to not get paid for it, um, was harming me and making me not able to keep doing it, you know? So it's like, do I do what makes me keep doing it? So of course I started off charging like way too little and stuff. I probably still do, but I have a sliding scale. So I do and I don't, but anywho, um, yeah, once I, I'm so glad I did that because that opening myself up to reading professionally made me read for more than just my friends. And it really like honed my, my understanding of the cards in a way that I couldn't ever hone my understanding of the cards. If I were only ever reading for myself, you know, and what's relevant to my life. Um, I'm still somebody who's absolutely a student of the cards. I am a student of Lindsay Mack's uh, podcast tarot for the wild soul. Like that has been hugely, um, a big teacher for me among a lot of other, um, teachers. Like I, I'm continually learning, but, um, yeah, I guess tarot was my avenue into it. And, you know, of course it like shows up in a lot of other ways in my life. Now I, um, am a, non-professional, like amateur herbalist, meaning more so that like I work with what I work with and I don't know everything about all plant kin, but I know what I know about the the plant friends that I am intimate with. And I feel comfortable offering um, those to my community and anybody who's, yeah. So like, those are some of the other ways that it shows up, but like between tarot and um, herbs and writing is like, those are, those are how I practice magic. Writing has been around, like, um, that's been, you know, the only subject I could focus on in school. Like that's just always been a very present, um, tool for me. Yeah. And you write poetry. 
I would love to hear a little more about your connection to poetry because I also write poetry and you do love it so much. Mm -hmm. I always say that like poetry is for people with ADHD, (laughs) both for like (laughs) people who write it and people who read it because of the attention span, you know, like I am somebody who like gets super gung ho about a project and really, you know, I, in my head, I think I'm going to love this forever. Like I'm never going to quit this. Like I am so obsessed with it right now. And then like a cute little week later, like the, <laughs> the art supplies are abandoned, like, which is mm-hmm. a very common thing for, um, and I now since being diagnosed, I no longer, I'm like hard on myself about that. I don't like look at myself as a quitter. It just like, is a, it's a thing. Um, so what I loved about poetry was that I could get it out of me like quickly. Um, this, the fact that like, I wrote a whole book that's being published is like very wild in my mind because like that, the, the longevity and attention span that that took, I mean, I did it over time. So like, I didn't, I didn't write it in the way that people usually get a book out of themselves, but yeah, I, um, for the longest time, um, I wrote primarily like I write a lot of earth-based stuff, um, Mm -hmm. or like Mary Oliver is like my, uh, my love, you know? Um, so it's similarly like writing about my politics through like what I notice in nature. And that's still absolutely a theme, um, in the, in the book, we didn't end up including any of my poetry in it because like, you know, not everybody wants that, (laughs) but like, um, yeah, I have like a little self-published book of poetry. That's not very good. And (laughs) I still absolutely write poetry, but it's very seasonal. Like it's seasons in my life that I even feel inspired to do that or like, um, that that's how things come out of me these days, it'll kind of start that way. And then I launch into like a more essay type of like, let me explain what I'm talking about. Cause it's always so like what I write about now is so related to, um, parenthood and motherhood and like the cultural landscape that we exist in. Um, so there's a lot to educate on in addition to like the poetry is for like making you feel like, I feel like poetry works for like understanding through visceral feeling, you know? Um, but then in the birth work world or in the parenthood community, there sometimes needs to be a little bit more like actual education or explanation of even what I'm talking about. Or maybe I just like want to over explain to make sure I'm understood. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, either way, I love that idea of like allowing poetry to come in seasons and just like not putting a specific form on it, but allowing whatever wants to come out of you to come out. And maybe you thought it was going to be yeah. a problem, but actually it's a whole different thing. And like, that's right. so cool when we let our creativity evolve and our needs evolve and don't try and like, no, this needs to be a poem. So I'm not going to do this thing I want to be. Right. Like, yeah. You know, it's I- like that's not how I want to create anyways. Sure. Like letting thing, letting all art be what it needs to be, which I'm grateful for the fact that I like pretty much wrote my entire book before I had a book deal. So that way it wasn't like I was trying to ever make a thing be a thing, you know? Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of a different story, but yeah, I, um, yeah, poetry. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, magic. You mentioned the book and I think the book concept is just so cool. Do you want to share a little bit about tarot for pregnancy and like how tarot can support pregnancy? 
Sure, absolutely. Um, the idea, well, the full name is Tarot for Pregnancy, a companion for radical magical birthing folks. Um, so it, the, it's definitely like to kind of be like me as a doula in a book for people, but it's also for your tarot deck to be your doula. If that's like not something that's financially accessible to you because your tarot deck is tailored to you and your life, you know, like um, any given reading, no reading is going to be the same, you know, how conversational it can be. Um, so I think that it was just a huge opportunity that I saw a lot of pregnant people not tapping into because there are, you know, quote unquote, scary cards in the tarot, like the death card or the three of swords and people having those cards come up and not knowing how to read them as pertains to pregnancy, because there's never been a book that's focused on tarot for pregnancy or birth or parenthood, mm -hmm. um, because that didn't exist, you might not know how to read the death. The death card is absolutely going to come up for a lot of people <laughs> during uh, pregnancy. Like there is a very real death of your pre parent self happening. Like I can almost guarantee that it's going to come up and it comes up in your kid's childhood too, uh, because of how rapid their growth stages are in the early years. Um, so if you don't know how to read that, um, in a way that like is pertaining to it, then you could be like, I just am not gonna, I'm not gonna touch my cards. And that's problematic to me because like, this is a huge resource for um, accountability in your parenthood style. It's a re huge resource in, um, you know, signaling to you if maybe you're not with the right care provider, that's a huge opportunity there. Also, the other big thing was um, that I had the kind of like, realization um that the ace through the 10 are energetically numerologically lined up with all the months of pregnancy like ace being mm -hmm. conception as the aces are um and then month two month three month all into 10 being the final weeks of pregnancy and birth and tens are very much a birth like, you know, ending completion type of card and everything in between, like the fifth month tends to be when just what I've noticed from my doula practice and my community and um, what I witness and read about other people going through like fifth month is the transition from the beginning half of pregnancy into the latter half and birth gets real. And you know how fives are like transitions are tough, like, and there's some sticky shit in the fives. Um, and like the six, six of cups, like six around the sixth month tend to be when people like start returning to their sexuality um, after like, you know, feeling like shit in their bodies in the first trimester and stuff. It all makes so much sense. Like each card has something to say about pregnancy. If you Google tarot for pregnancy, or at least before you got a, before there's a book about it, because now you'd see my book. But um, did I mention I wrote a book? I feel like I need to shut up about it. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's very cool. Back then you would get some like you'd be, be be like, or you would read like um, the the Empress can be representative of fertility, or the Ten of Cups could mean that like um, you're going to get pregnant or things like that. That's all you would get. Like cards that like are supposedly supposed to represent fertility or pregnancy. And yet every single card is relevant to the reproductive continuum, every single one. Um, so yeah, like I just felt like that resource was really missing in, um, in the tarot library. I know there's so many books about 
um, tarot for this or tarot for that. And so many just general tarot guides that like the, I didn't, I didn't know of this existing. Um, and I'm pretty sure it, it didn't until I wrote it. And I had a lot of, I won't say imposter syndrome, but I had a lot of confusion about why I got this idea. Like why me, when I know that there are other birth workers out here who are far more seasoned than I am. And I know there are other witches out here who are far more steeped in their spiritual practice. And I know they exist simultaneously too. So like, what is it? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I can only like think that maybe it has something to do with like the, the writing aspect that that part I got to. And like, mm-hmm. not everybody is both a, a witch, a birth worker and a writer, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. so the actual like skill to execute it, um, was like something I, I could do. And I just had to get over myself and stop thinking about like not being the right one to write it because I'm like, who the fuck am I to think I can write a whole book about pregnancy when I've been a birth worker for now, like four years, like that's nothing, um, in the grand scheme of things. I did a lot of, a lot of work to around that, a lot of Akashic records readings (laughs) to be like, where do I get off? Where do I get the audacity to write a book about this? I Um, think it is lovely to be like, I don't know everything. And I also have something to contribute to the conversation, you know, I think that's a beautiful place to be. That's not like rooted in this whole egoic thing of like, it is me. (laughs) I'm the expert. Like I hate the word expert. In fact, like as a culture, I'm hoping to be a part of like, and I'm by no means like, you know, this isn't my own idea, but just the ideas of that are being put out there in liberatory spaces about abolishing those kinds of hierarchies of mm-hmm. guru and learner or teacher and, you know, the subject of like who gets the the learned and the learned from, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I'm not using the right words, but um, like Hierophant energy, like last year was super it made sense that I was writing that book in a hero fan year because like, mm-hmm. it was like, how can we look at how our teachers as human and also see ourselves as teachers and like not be putting anybody on any kind of knowledge pedestal. And that like the book is honestly trying to get out of people that they have this magic in them and it's not me and it's not outside of them. Um, like this, reconnection to intuition to like, everybody's like in pregnancy, like, well, what does your intuition say? But like, we have totally been like from day one taught to not listen to that. We're taught to not listen to our bodies. We're not taught, we're taught to not listen to our intuitive knowing and put all of these like experts, whether it be doctors or psychiatrists or teachers or parents, even all of these like authority figures are above our under- our own inner understanding. So I personally think that tarot is a way to like validate, like, hey, your intuition is correct and valid and should be playing a huge role in your um, reproductive journey, your journey to becoming a parent. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people who are like super self-sovereign and super um, very you know, like would advocate for themselves in any other setting. And yet when they become pregnant and they become almost a vessel for someone else's life, it becomes 
whatever the authority figure says goes, whether that authority figure is an OB or a midwife or some other kind of like somebody telling them that you have to do it like this or they can't eat this, blah, blah, blah. There's so many rules um, to pregnancy that are not even founded in evidence. So like it's problematic that people are not feeling empowered enough to to do their own, to continue their own research beyond what they're being told. Obstetrics is the least evidence-based um, field of medicine because it's unethical to like do double-blind studies on pregnant people. So like there's a lot in that world that is still being practiced that has long since been debunked, like not eating during labor. You know, um, that's just like one tiny thing. So like it's just imperative that people are feeling empowered to do their own research in this field like an imperative I mean like as in life-saving because um the numbers are going up not down we do not have everybody's like well thank god like you know for hospitals because like people would be dying otherwise people are dying as much as they were in like the 1800s during pregnancy and childbirth um and it's preventable and a lot of it is very connected to these unnecessary interventions that are um, over medicalizing event, an event that like for many people is just a physiologic event, like pooping, <laughs> you know, like we just are really taught that we've got to have some help to, uh, to gestate our babies and get them out. Uh, we don't under, it's hard for us to even comprehend that that'll happen without like doctor interference, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And so after that happens, <laughs> <in> postpartum, <laughs> and you mentioned this before we started talking today about postpartum and how we should all be showing up better for folks postpartum. So yeah. I'm just wondering if there's anything you want to share about like the postpartum time, even like spiritually and like, yeah, how we can support people. In oh, yes. I, I'm so glad you asked. Um, first of all, we need to start all of us, um, start considering it to be relevant for us to know about. Like mm -hmm. we kind of think I, I'm not somebody who wants to have kids and like they made that decision to have kids and that's their thing. So like, it's not my problem, you know? Um, whereas the parents right now, we are tasked with raising the generation that's going to have to save us all, to be honest. Like, it's a little bit late for us to be the one like millennials are like, we're too old to like, <laughs> um, we don't have, we don't have the site and the tools to do what needs to be done. Like, you know how you see Gen Zers and you're like, wow, you guys are so smart. Like they really, truly are like kids that are coming out these days are, um, they're, they're very smart and they are, they're coming back with a very strong purpose. We're not living in neutral times, you know, like to have a child these days is to um, try, you know, in my circles, at least like you are intentionally trying to foster what will be the change makers in the world um, right now. So like, I was just talking about this with my friends the other day, um, like, we were like, what comes after Gen Z? And we like looked it up and the next generation. So like my son's generation, I believe will be generation alpha, like a, we're starting at the beginning again. And I just think energetically about how mm -hmm. they are going to be like, 
I feel like us millennials, Gen Y and Gen Z are all about, we're, we're tearing down what we like white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, everything that we saw just like has been um, slowly festering for generations. And we're looking back at older generations and we're like, why did nobody do anything about this? Everybody, every generation does what they can from their vantage point. Um, which is why what we're able to do is limited, you know, and this is why becoming a parent, it can be an extremely radical act. Um, and so I think about how Gen Y and Gen Z are the like terror downers. So that means that Gen A, Gen Alpha, the next one will be who's building what's next. It's an extremely important job. So we should give a fuck about it is like the crux of it all. Um, we should care about how kids are coming into the world because kids like that is often our first like imprint of trauma. I don't know if you've ever done like any rebirthing uh, like experience or something, but like um, often we go back and we find out like that, like a lot of why we are the way we are, our sensitivities um, is from our very first earliest experience, which is of being born. And if that goes back to, and it's inherently a little bit traumatic, like the squeeze, like being evicted from your um, warm, watery womb is traumatic regardless, right? Sure. But it's extra traumatic when we are separating babies from their birth parent after birth, when we aren't like doing skin to skin, when they aren't able to go like right to the zone, like there is a hormonal secretion on nipples after birth that smells like amniotic fluid. This is home. Like, and I'm motioning to my chest for people who are listening. Like um, that's, that's home for people for like new human returned ancestors is what they are, you know, coming back with a very specific agenda. So if we can foster, like, imagine um, like what you might be capable of if, you weren't in therapy for healing your childhood trauma. That's like the, what we're hoping will be possible for our kids to not have to do all this healing so they can actually get to work on what needs to change. Um, and I know a lot of people think that's unfair. Like it's unfair to bring a kid into this world to an ending world, you know? Um, and uh, there's a lot of debate about that, but like people are having children regardless. Um, and I think that like, I to me, the act of having kids is like saying, I'm not giving up. Like I still have hope and like, I'm going to do what I can to pass on what I can. So that way my kid can stand on my shoulders and maybe from their vantage point, they'll be able to see the solutions that I can't see. So that's getting a little more deeper into parenthood, but it all starts in postpartum because energetically postpartum, um, you are an open channel. Um, this is why you are incredibly like sensitive, you know, to your surroundings and the folds of your brain literally change during pregnancy to, um, to be the, the, like, you know, colloquial term for it is mama bear, but regardless of whether you identify as a mama, that it means that you are just more capable of discerning threat. Like, um, and you see threat where like other people don't see threat. And that's why people sometimes think like, oh, she just being like, you know, really hypervigilant about germs. You know, um, I remember coming home from the hospital extremely weak um, and when I was walking my baby inside the house, it was the strangest experience because it, I had like tunnel vision for like 
wasp, spider, like it was zoning in on it in a very strange way. And that never really goes back. Um, you, you see threat for your children everywhere when you uh, gestate and birth a kid hormonally and like physically, tangibly, there's a lot of physiologic changes. Um, and then there's just the sheer fact of like for successful body feeding, like body feeding is a food sovereignty issue. A lot of people, like I'm not somebody who, um, believes in promoting the ideology of fed is best because it's not neutral. Um, fed is best is something that's saying like, whether you feed your baby formula or breast milk, uh, doesn't matter. Cause it's good that they're getting fed and, you know, duh, but like, it's actually an extremely privileged viewpoint because formula is very expensive and formula companies are extremely predatory in their marketing. They're even more predatory than like cigarette company marketing. And they're the only thing that can give you a free sample of something and create a need from a free sample. So it's not a neutral topic. I uh, get a little. So anyways, why that's related to postpartum is because postpartum people in order for their milk to come in, if they're choosing to body feed, they need to be home and in their comfort space. So that's where one of the first things where like being out of your home in a hospital, like, yeah, a lot of times that you're like, well, your milk is always there because the first thing that comes is colostrum. So yes, it's there, but there are certain medical interventions that can make it not come in. Like um, I was on magnesium sulfate to deliver safely to prevent me from having seizures, uh, which is of course a great necessary thing. Um, but it's a like very, a drug that dries you up and makes you feel like a hot, wet dish rag. And it is what they give people to stop their milk production if they don't want a body feed. Um, so that was an added, like I had been leaking all over my sheets every night since 17 weeks. And all of a sudden my baby's here and there's no milk coming, you know? So we did supplemental nursing with a, with donor milk. Um, and it's a whole thing. So anywho, like just fostering and supporting the environment. Like if you are going to be somebody who's coming in to a postpartum person, sacred space, know that they are an open channel still and considered in traditional Chinese medicine to be for the first 40 days, they will be that like open channel, um, that needs like gentleness and warmth and presence of community to close back up in a healthy way. And this has long-term, um, sorry, my cat is scratching at my door. Um, this has long-term implication for the health of birthing people down the line, like how well we heal, um, how warm we're kept, how cared for and held we are postpartum, like coming over to, uh, hold the baby and then leave is like one of the worst things you could do. Like nobody needs to even really be holding your baby except for the person who birthed them. Um, unless they're asking for that because they like want to shower or something. Um, because like the, for the feeding cues and stuff to happen, like they say every two hours, but it's actually so much more frequently <laughs> than every two hours. Like they were just used to being in a womb hooked up to their placenta via an, via an umbilical cord. They were used to having perpetual nourishment and they don't understand hunger, you know? So like just them nursing all the time is to help like more milk come in and be like, Hey, a baby is here. We need to like kick up the milk production beyond colostrum. And it's also like their comfort zone. It's their bonding. This is what I mean by like, nobody even really needs to be holding your baby other than who birthed them. And the um, 
parent or other partner parent or whoever is like living in the house and living in that microbiome. Um, but so if you, even if you're not going to like come in and be in their space, there are absolutely things you can be doing to promote, um, their, their recovery. Like, um, you can, everybody should be bringing food to these new parents, like new parents, whether or not they have a partner, it's even more crucial though, if they're single new parents and don't have a partner, but regardless, they still need nourishing homemade food made with love brought to them. And I say made with love because like that, yes, it's great to give somebody like DoorDash gift cards and stuff, but like because of that, how open they are energetically, like you making them something homemade is so much more impactful than um, takeout maybe. Um, And so like things that are good for postpartum are like warming soups. Um, There's a lot of like traditional indigenous foods, a lot of traditional Chinese medicine foods that are like, like things that have ginger warming things. I recommend the book, the first 40 days, um, and all the teachings by Rayanne Madison, who's postpartum healing lodge on Instagram. Um, and Erica Davis, who is whole body pregnancy on Instagram has a course specifically for friends and family and community who are trying to show up for their postpartum kin. And like, it just makes me cry, like wanting, like looking at it. I'm like, oh my God, somebody wants to like take care of us. Like when you're stuck at home and not stuck, you know, like you're in it, like the word for the postpartum time period of like staying in, in Spanish is quarantena, like quarantine. You're supposed to be inside, like not even necessarily really going outside, especially not if it's cold um, because you're, you're, in traditional Chinese medicine, like you're not even necessarily supposed to put your air conditioning on if um, you're not supposed to have ice in your drinks, um, all kinds of things to promote warmth coming back to the body. And I'm not the one to like speak on the, um, to educate on the traditions of it. So I'm going to keep recommending the first 40 days and there I'm sure are other books as well. But um, yeah, so you're trying to promote that like um, tender, sacred time the best things you can do are bring food. Something else that's helpful is, um, setting up a meal train for postpartum people where like, so it's like kind of a schedule and you can send it out to their whole family, all their friends, everybody in the community. So people can sign up and be like, okay, I'm going to bring you lunch on Wednesday. Cause I see that there's an open slot there. It's called meal train. So setting that up for them is huge. Um, coming, if you are coming over, it should be in a helping capacity, not in like a visiting capacity. Like you see dishes in the sink, you wash the dishes in the sink. You know, if you see a load of laundry in the dryer, you fold and put away the load of laundry in the dryer, like making, because you, they're not going to be like in a space where they should be doing any of that for many, many weeks. Um, ideally like some birthing people postpartum will like do too much too soon. And they, so like the bleeding that happens postpartum is called lachia and your lachia is kind of like a barometer of if you're doing too much. So say your bleeding has slowed to like just a little bit. And then like, you're like, I can vacuum the house. Um, that kind of reopens that wound in your womb 
um, where the placenta detached and you start bleeding again. So it's kind of like a sit the fuck back down. I know you think you have energy, but like conserve it because you're also not sleeping through the night anymore. Like we're now up at least every two hours, uh, with the little boob barnacle. So, um, oh gosh, I feel like there's probably so much more I could say, but if <laughs> Just giving a shit at all and knowing that it's relevant to you and that it's not like something you don't need to care about just because you decided not to have kids um, is is huge. You know, like not making them feel like a burden um, that because they like we're so our culture is so like gross and and our culture. I mean, like white American, like uh, capitalist, very nuclear family type of culture. We're not communal as much as like we absolutely need to thrive. Um, so we're very much like, you you know, you made that decision, like that's your problem (laughs) to deal with, you know, but it's not a lot of skin off your back to like, to make someone a nourishing meal and help them feel seen, listen to their birth story, help them process, like make them know that like they aren't abandoned because they're now a parent, you know? It makes all the difference in the world and it'll make all the difference in the world for how that child then grows up into these very important humans that we're raising um, because they will not, they're hopefully won't have like a traumatized, detached, depressed parent, which is what a lot of us grew up with, um, like a parent that couldn't connect with us or couldn't attach to us properly because they were so drastically unsupported that, um, that like they, they couldn't even be there for themselves. And like, we need to be so more so taking care of postpartum people than the baby. We need to be holding postpartum people, not their baby. You know, they are a brand new baby now too. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole rebirth process to go through pregnancy and birth. Um, and they're not the same on the other side. So it's like, tell me about your journey to the end of the earth and back to bring your baby here, you know? Yeah, I appreciate you sharing this so much. My, um, I had never thought about postpartum at all until my <laughs> one of my best friends, Clarky, was pregnant, and um, I feel like her process of being pregnant and giving birth and how she set up her postpartum was so hugely eye-opening for me. Yes. Um, We're not educated on it in any way, either through mm-hmm. like passed down wisdom or through like educational systems, which is wild because it becomes relevant to like a large percentage of the population. And even if it isn't like, this should be a part of sex ed, you know, like that makes sense to me. Um, like there's a bajillion problems with sex ed as it is now. So yeah. like, you know, we won't even like, get into that. <laughs> yeah. Like this shouldn't be a yeah. niche topic that you had to have gone through it to understand. And yet so many of us only understand it because we've gone through it. I absolutely cringe at like how I showed up for my friends postpartum before having kids of my own. I'm like, Oh my God, like I had you come to my house like nine days after your, <laughs> for your, like, cause I was doing photography. Like I took, uh, po- like I would have called them newborn photos at the time. I now call them postpartum photos, but that just speaks to it. Like you go to get your newborn photos done. The photos are of the baby. Like, um, it's all about the baby when the baby doesn't really need anything from you stranger, like the baby needs like their parent. And so the best thing you can do for that baby is take care of that who birthed them, 
who's like taking yeah. care of them in the day to day, nourishing them, making them feel, um, cause they're going to be hormonally, they're going to be going through it either way. You know, like you have a, you had this steady flow of hormones throughout pregnancy when you were previously used to ebbing and flowing with your cycle every month. Right. So pregnancy is like this steady flow. And then with postpartum, with the detachment of that placenta, there's a drastic drop. So there's like, not just like cultural lack of support that is causing um, perinatal mood disorders, but it's also a hormonal reason. Like Mm -hmm. you're just prone to have it happen. And um, you just need to be really, really held um, through that time. It's a super tender time. Um, And a lot of times like culturally we're like, well, why can't you come to my wedding when your baby's only two weeks old? Or why can't you, you know, like we want what we want. You're, yeah. you're shaking your head, but this is a thing. Erin. Like, I know. I believe you. I'm like, I'm so lucky that Clarkie had like such clear, like information yeah. expectations about yeah. like how she wanted to be supported. And it was exactly everything you're talking about. It was about supporting her so that she could take care of the baby. Like I washed a ton of dishes and just cooked a bunch of food and did a lot That's of feelings cool. and processing with her and did laundry and was there for like a week staying with her, but I wouldn't have known how to support her if she didn't. It was ask her a week. Mm-hmm. You're an angel. Like, <laughs> this is what we need for real. It's not just like yeah. coming in one time. Like when I'm working with my doula clients to set up a postpartum plan, ideally it's like, who can be here for daily help? Because yeah. while I, I like consider myself a full spectrum doula. And so I am going to do postpartum visits. I'm going to bring you food. I'm going to bring you herbal infusions. Yeah. I'm going to bring you my like homemade nipple balm or cesarean healing cream. If like, that's what happened, what your journey was. And, um, but at the end of the day, I'm in this season myself, you know, like I'm, uh, I have a toddler. We're in our trying to conceive phase. Currently I, um, I dream of the day when I'm like a elder and I have the time to show up as fully for people postpartum as they actually need, because like, daily presence and support is actually what's needed. Um, not like these little drop-ins, but drop-ins are great. If that's all you are able to give, you know, um, I know like we're all stretched as thin as possible, like, especially after or during the pandemic as we are, you know, like it doesn't always feel like we have more to give. Um, but yeah, like if you are somebody who does have it to give, whether it's your time or yeah, your help, you can help them ahead of time being like, okay, what chores are you comfortable with other people doing? If you don't like the idea of somebody folding your laundry, like, cool, we won't put that on there, but are you okay with people unloading your dishwasher? Are you okay with people feeding your dog? If they have older siblings, like giving older siblings, like meaning they have older children, giving the, um, older siblings, like a lot of loving and one-on-one time, because like Mm -hmm. the, the attention gets taken away from them. This very, like they're used to, if it's only one, they're used to being the only one. And it can be a major adjustment for like their parents' attention to be taken away, um, with the newborn, you know? So, um, giving some loving on the older kiddos, giving some loving on the pets that are being neglected, you know, um, like making sure that the partner is okay. Like postpartum depression is a thing for partners as well. And like, if they're, who's living there and taking care, like making sure that they're, um, 
needs are being met to just taking little things off the plate, like sweeping the floor, um, Mm -hmm. things that like, if you know, like not all people care about those kinds of things. Like I'm the type of person like, yeah, my windows could look like shit, but some people are like, it's going to bug me to like be pinned down under a baby in my bed and be looking at like all of my toddler's fingerprints on the window, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it's super, yeah, you, everybody's specific in like what they actually want or need. It's great to talk about that and create a plan of like, who's responsible for what ahead of time. Even if you're like, um, I can drop in every other day. So I'll always be in charge of taking out the trash, like take that off your plate and have it written down, like postpartum plans written down and on the fridge. So like everybody's on the same page type of thing, you know? Yeah. This conversation is inspiring me too. So my sister is pregnant and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Um, And my partner and I are talking about how we're like so excited to go like take care of her after she has the baby and stuff. And this conversation is inspiring me to get the 40 days book, Yeah, uh, which I've looked at, but don't have and to see if I can help her with like postpartum, like planning see what she might need. Um, yeah. And I feel like we, it's a, it's sometimes a hard, um, line to tell because like when I'm talking to a lot of my clients, they're like, I'm like, so once we start talking about postpartum planning, they're like, Oh, yep. I already told my mom and everything. I already told the whole family that they're not allowed to come visit us for two, at least two weeks. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Like, I know that like you're used to visiting being an unhelpful thing, but it's more so that we need to be teaching them how to come (laughs) be good visitors, um, how to come be like a helpful presence. But isolating yourself from like the community that's trying to come help you is absolutely not the move. Um, and so a lot of times, like it, it can be tricky to show up for people postpartum, but they, mm-hmm. if they're not asking a lot of times it's like, okay, maybe they're not asking because they, they are afraid of, you know, asking for help is just so frowned upon under white supremacist yeah. capitalism. You know, you're supposed to be able to do it all yourself. You made this decision to have a kid yourself, like asking for help can be really rough for a lot of people. So you just have to make it known not just that you're willing, but it's like, I'm going to bring you food. Would Wednesday or Thursday work better for you or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of like, is there anything I can do being specific about what you're willing to do, you know, so that way they don't have to feel any guilt about taking you up on it because guilt around accepting help is huge postpartum. Yeah. I feel very, um, able to try and offer a bunch of help to my sister because I fully trust that she'll be able to tell me to fuck off if she doesn't want it. <laughs> like she will definitely tell me what she wants and doesn't want so I'm That's like beautiful. great I will just offer as much as I am able to and she'll let me know and I, it sounds like you aren't gonna be the kind of visitor that you tell to fuck off I don't want to be (laughs) like with what you're describing to me of how you were able to show up for Clarkie and how you plan to show up for your sister like that's that's the kind of presence that like when you leave like as a postpartum person you're like don't go (laughs) like oh you know it's just so tender and like all the emotions that are present during that time they're not even necessarily like good or bad, happy or sad. Like that's what I write about in the 10 of cups chapter. It's just like Mm -hmm. emotional overload tears that have no real 
name or rhyme or reason behind them, or they don't have to have that behind them. It's just, um, yeah. So like the way that you are planning on showing up for them, it doesn't sound like they'd probably want you to go away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. get super, like it's common to get exhausted by socializing and talking postpartum, but like when you're not sitting there, like just chatting, you know, there are people who visit people postpartum and like still expect to be waited on, you know, still expect to have like a cup of tea. <laughs> your eyes just bulged out. Um, like I know, but it's a thing, especially like older yeah. generations and stuff. Yeah. Like I'm a visitor in your house, like bring me a cup of tea, bring me, bring me some water. Like, and it's like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. um, you need to be, if like, ideally only inviting people in your postpartum space who you are fine with seeing you topless because like tits out um, for people who refer to their chest that way is like, what is like kind of what you just need to be at all times, like um, just for the sake of skin to skin and for the sake of like how frequently your body feeding. And if you had any issues with pain or anything, like ed- letting nipples air dry is necessary. So like, does your uncle really need to come see your like brand new baby? <laughs> No, not really. Like <laughs> they could see them when they're all chunky and cute and you're like ready anyway. to get out of the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unless maybe you're really close to your uncle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, on that note, let me ask you <laughs> to tell people how they can find you, follow you online. Okay. <laughs> um, I am on Instagram as Brittany the Birth Witch. Brittany spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. Um, my website is just the birth, Witch, but I also have a website for tarot for pregnancy. Um, yeah, that's it. Those are, those are the only things I do. I don't, Amazing. I don't TikTok or um, tweet <laughs> anything. I write way too. I have always been super against Twitter because I am a very verbose person as mm. you have now witnessed firsthand. Um, so I cannot imagine fitting <laughs> something, all, everything I'd post would be like thread one of 35. Like it was Twitter's not a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> so Instagram gets that from me. And then now my book, yeah. my book was like, let me stop just giving all this away and I'll like compile it, you know, and make it something real instead of just me yelling into the internet. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely excited to get your book, especially I'm like in the future when I don't plan to give birth, but my partner does. And I'm very excited for that whenever that happens, not tomorrow, but like in the future. But I feel like that will be so beautiful for us to like do together. And because we both love you. Yeah, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's so nice to talk to you. You're most welcome. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for this. This has been lovely. Thank you for doing these. Thank you for hosting these spaces. This is very important. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.